Hi, I'm Ed Jerks, Marketing Executive at Amber and BGA, and this is the Ambition Podcast. Today we are joined by George Casiris, the author of Build Better Teams, Creating Winning Teams in a Digital Age. In this episode, we talk about George's career and take a look into his newly released book. Can you tell me a little about yourself and your career, please? Yes, I I run a company called Team Up. Uh, We're a consultancy that's been going now for 17 years, and uh, I I develop teams all over the globe. Um, I've worked in um, mainly Europe, but I've also uh, developed teams in, in in Australia, America, Far East, Asia, and I've been running my business now uh, ever since I left KPMG, which is where I was prior to starting my own business, where I was doing organizational change and uh, transformational work. And prior to that, I worked for a very boutique psychology consultancy that specialized in sports psychology and business psychology. So I have an interest in in both of those domains. Well, that's a very interesting career so far. You are the author of Build Better Teams, Creating Winning Teams in a Digital Age. Can you tell me some of the key themes of this book and how it came about? So the book was was, um, an answer to a question that I was asking and have been asking for a number of years, which is, is there a code or a sequence, an order of events that helps a leader to develop their team? Is there a roadmap that they can follow that says, do this first, then do that, then do this, then do that? And um, there, there was there was no answer to that question that was compelling. We have we had Tuckmans forming, storming, norming, but that really wasn't a roadmap. That was just a sequence of of stages. It didn't tell leaders what to do, and it was also based on on um, therapeutic models and le- generally leaderless teams. So. So I wanted to see if there was something else. So I researched uh, all the academic journals and and read a lot of books. And we had several PhD uh, students helping to develop what what we felt was a very, very solid scientific approach to developing a team. And and so we have a code. It's a short code, but it's a code that stands up to scrutiny. And it's one which we tested in the book in the current extreme environment, which is really dominated by digitalized work constant transformation, and also hybrid and virtual team environments. And we found that the code didn't just apply, it actually came into its own in, the, in both of those domains. Amazing. Did you find the switch to hybrid online work difficult from the perspective of yourself as a leader? No, I, I haven't found that too difficult. We've always had a virtual hybrid model here since day one. Um, obviously, it's tougher. Uh, not seeing people and, and through that the whole COVID environment, having less face time. But for a small consultancy, uh, it, ha- it wasn't too difficult in terms of my own team. It was obviously more challenging in working with clients. And, and we had to adapt ac- uh, accordingly, as everyone else has, ha- has had to. As we are still adjusting to the new normal and building hybrid teams, how would you suggest that organisations build trust within these hybrid teams? Most people gravitate towards relationships and emotional trust and building of psychological safety. We include that in our work, but we don't start there. Our advice to teams is actually start with cognitive-based trust. And you accrue cognitive-based trust based on shared understanding of what's important, who's doing it, 
what the goals are, what the roles are, why is the task important? So these are co cognitively based um, uh, thinking patterns which create trust. And we've we have found that that's a quicker way in in teams to to accelerate the trust building process. And on the back of that trust, which we call same page trust, we then encourage the building of psychological safety. But our order is very specific. You go cognitive trust first, and then you build emotional trust on the back of that. And the science supports that sequence as well. Thank you for that great answer. How can leaders manage teams effectively, especially when they are new joiners? Well, uh, the, the best practice here is is uh, is fairly straightforward, which is uh, you make people uh, coming into the team feel um, included, make them and help them to understand why the team is in existence, its purpose, and you include them in in um, in as many decisions as you possibly can. And um, the answer to the to the to the question is how can you can leaders manage teams ef effectively? Really, you want to build a team that has longevity. So when a team member comes in, that will change things, and uh, usually with different personalities and different thinking styles. But the team culture, the team norms, the team, what the team stands for is, is, is a constant. And, um, and so they need to understand the purpose of the team, the behaviors and the norms that, that define the team, and then slot into that so that there is a minimal um, disruption. It's a key question at the moment because there's a lot of – Turnover. People are now, are now members of multiple teams. Their longevity in teams is shortening. So the idea of having people come and go is the norm now. Therefore, the team has to have some core uh, stability, some core strength, and that really is defined by its purpose and the the, the the behaviors that the team really stands by. What do you think are some of the main mistakes organisations are making when it comes to having hybrid teams? I think one of the main mistakes that they make is is um, they, they they get a bit a bit a bit confused as to whether a hybrid team is a virtual team or a hybrid team needs to be treated differently because it's it's a mixture of a virtual and and in, intact or whether they can get away with having hybrid working uh, sort of patterns with an intact uh, applying the same sort of thinking to an intact team. I think the easiest way I look at when I work with hybrid teams, I my um, approach to, to working with hybrid team is to generally treat them as a virtual team and um, and to ensure that the virtual uh, golden rules of virtual teaming are applied. And one of those is a real crystal clear clarity uh, as to um, as to what's being done. Most of the work in, 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 in virtual teams shows an increased level of conflict and that conflict arises from people not quite sure of of, of who's, who owns which decision, what the plan is, um, what actions have been taken, what will be taken. There's generally a lot of assumptions that we have on the table in, in virtual teams that we don't have so much of in, 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 in that teams. So those, those rules apply to a hybrid team, making sure that the team really is crystal clear on actions, on decisions, on, on uh, ownership. And um, if you go if you go down that route with a hybrid team, you won't go far too far wrong. Another mistake that leaders can make with a hybrid team is to forget the golden rule of teaming is what's in the team's best interests. And several times I hear clients um, make decisions that aren't necessarily in the team's best interest, but in one or two people's best interest in the hybrid team. For example, they might say, "Well, 
we might, we, if we can't all be together, then none of us should be together. And that's a kind of a, a more egalitarian approach, highly equitable. But actually, it's it's nonsense, really. If, if you think about what the team really requires and what, what serves a team better, it's that seven out of the 12 come together and five dial in remotely. And they understand that, um, that it's the team's purpose and interest that are paramount. And, and they are enablers of that rather than the team is there to help them be successful. So I think that front of mind mentality of deciding what the team is in the team's best interest is, is, is worth coming back to. Yeah, that's a very interesting take and it's something our audience can um, definitely relate to, especially with, um, with what's been going on recently with um, the pandemic. You recently wrote an article for our online blog, Ambition, about why you shouldn't be afraid of constructive tension at work. Can you define what you mean in regard to constructive tension and give me an example of what this might look like? So constructive tension is, is, is tension that is helpful as opposed to destructive tension, which is much more personally um, a given where people feel attacked and undermined, or no tension where there is no uh, challenge or, or, or counter point of view, and we have passivity. So constructive tension is a sweet spot, and it's defined by people essentially providing information that challenges another person's thinking or another person's behavior. It's less around that person feeling themselves that they are uh, being criticized, but it might be that their behavior is being challenged. And that's a big difference. So it's constructive when it's when it's uh, delivered with tremendous technique and courage, and it's constructive when people receive it in the right way. Because we can give very good constructive uh, feedback, or we can challenge someone's point of view, or we can say that we're feeling a bit upset or something. But if the person receives it in a way which is um, defensive or aggressive, then the reaction. Is, makes it destructive as much as it can be destructive from the giving of that feedback. So it has to work both ways. The, the team has to be able to provide good information and receive good information and be able to have a, di a dialogue around that. And so it does require descriptive feedback, which is observation, saying what we notice, and it requires people to say how they feel, and it requires people to be able to discuss differences and it needs to be done in a in a emotionally calm way. Once we put emotion into the discussion and we have charge, uh, emotional charge, then we tend not to think and act so intelligently. So constructive tension is probably the most demanding of all of all um, skills for a team. The lot that make it success, uh, constructive or can make it destructive. So most teams would say that's the holy grail, right? Can we get to that point? So an example of, of constructive tension would be if, if a, a team member says to another team member, I'm not getting your point of view. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand what that word means. Can you help me understand that? And um, that would be a constructive intervention because it allows that person to under, understand another person's thinking uh, through the medium of language. Um, it would be destructive if that person said to the other other team member, uh, you're talking double Dutch, you're talking nonsense. I, you, you, can you just make that simple for me to understand? That is an implied criticism. So, so the, the very subtle difference between um, 
uh, I'm confused and you are confusing. One is more personal. You are confusing. The other is I'm confused is a statement of fact. I am confused. So knowing the differences between these those two ways of speaking is at the heart of, of a team having great constructive tension. That was a brilliant example, and it just shows how the little tweak in the language can um, make a massive impact in how things are perceived. But yeah, thank you for that. How can organisations manage this type of tension? So organisations can can manage this tension by having teams that are able to produce constructive tension. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean sending all people away on training courses so much and to learn how to have good dialogue, although that's, that can be helpful. The answer in a team is to build up the team uh, in terms of trust. So our research and our, our aggression analysis shows quite clearly from the data we have with teams that if a team has high levels of cognitive-based trust, in other words, it's on the same page with why it exists, what the goals are, what the roles are, the plans, it has it has good, uh, clear, agreed target behaviours, then um, it's already boosting, starting to boost levels of psychological safety. And then if it then boosts that even further with high levels of empathy, a learning mentality in terms of how it feeds back and has um, uh, reflective learning discussions, uh, how are we working together and how, how, are we, how are we working as a team type stuff, and if it has high degrees of vulnerability, especially, so people are able to talk about their mistakes and, and, and their learnings and say how they feel, if it ticks those boxes, already we are moving much more into a space that allows constructive tension, okay? So the code says get set, which is get, click, get clarity, get, get on the same page, then get safe by building psychological safety. And then with those two things in place, the team is then statistically far more able to have conversations that tick the constructive tension box, okay? It has to go a little bit further than just be psychologically safe and be on the same page. It also has to have team members that have very good skills in the feedback space and have the courage to speak their truth. So there's a lot of, if you think about a mountain to scale, to get to the peak, and have good constructive tension, there's a number of foundations that need to be in place across the team. And, 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 and only when those foundations are in place will the team have that those levels of um, discussions that we can call dis, uh, constructive tension. You have a background in sports and occupational psychology. Does this impact your perspective on business in any way? It does in many ways, and it doesn't in others. Sport and business are different. Um, sport is more event-led, uh, where you have a set piece, you have a final, or you have a match, and you work towards that match. Business is a, is, a, is more of a continuum of, of of delivery, so we have to be careful of the differences that exist. Also, sport a lot of sport is confrontational, with a winner and a loser, and so in business um, you don't necessarily have to. You have competition in the marketplace, but unfortunately, a lot of people bring sporting. Uh, models, thinking patterns within their organization, and they try to compete against each other in order to rise up the tree. So sport has a, a there's a certain risk attached to sport when we bring it into business. However, as a sports psychologist, I can also say that my work with elite sport has helped me understand this concept of doing the hard yards and, and what it means to, 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 to perform at a high level. And um, in, in essence, 
you, we see on the on the on the TV or or, or we read our books of, of of amazing victories and and endeavors, whether it be a gold medal in the Olympics or 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 a, a, a basketball team achieving amazing feats and and awards and 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 victories, and we forget that actually behind the scenes, day in day out, we've got these people getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, doing the pounding the pavements and the sidewalks, running and and doing their exercises and their disciplines and practicing and practicing and practicing and 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 in the same way we don't get success in business without doing those hard yards right so that's one of the essences behind the the, the code that we we apply to our teams and the hard yards sit in that get set phase in particular and really having those teams understand and clarify exactly what we're trying to achieve exactly who's doing what what the plans are what the roles are how are we measuring our our outcomes do we agree before we set off on broad, broadly what we're going to do? These questions and the vision and the and the, and the strategy these these are not easy questions to answer. And um, great teams spend time really as much as they can getting some clarity without doing too much clarity. Because if we have too much clarity, we spend too much time doing getting that clarity. Then the moments pass us by in this fast-paced digital world. So we have to have some degree of uncertainty. We have to live with. So. I think the sport analogy helps us to understand this concept of hard yards. I think it also helps us to understand uh, teaming as well, because there's some tremendous stories of sports teams who have built and recovered themselves and showed high levels of resilience to keep going until they find a way. That's another great message from sport is resilience, mental toughness. And um, I think those two things are probably the biggest transferable skills or thinking styles that we can take from sport and apply in business. Thanks so much to George for being on the podcast. Don't forget his book, Build Better Teams, Creating Winning Teams in a Digital Age, is now available online and in print. If you would like more thought leadership, head to www.associationofnbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen to the next Ambition podcast.